Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal like everybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. I'm really good job. I'm getting ready. I'm surprised. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Good morning, all you entrepreneurs and small business people. You're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. You know, the Savvy Entrepreneur Show has two goals. First, to share helpful information and resources. If I can help just one of you entrepreneurs out there not make some of the many mistakes that I've made myself or that I've seen my clients or friends make, then I've been successful. The second goal of the show is to inspire. I found being an entrepreneur confusing, often lonely. Sometimes you have no idea if you're on the right track or not, or where to turn for good advice. So every week on the show, I have guests who are willing to share their stories and their advice. This week's guest is Olivia Vanita. She is the founder and owner of Cavnia Coffee Company, and she joins me this week to share her journey as an entrepreneur. So Olivia, thanks so much for being with me today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's start of just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. You know, who you are as a person, your background, what makes you tick, what you're passionate about. Sure. So I'll start pretty far back. Um, my parents like to joke that I was born asking questions. And throughout <laughs> my career that's and personal life, that's been a, a big theme. So to me was a really natural outgrowth of my passions growing up. So asking how the world worked, why there weren't purple M&Ms, you know, whatever it was, I was always asking a bunch of questions and my parents were always encouraging these questions, but it led really naturally into me going to school to become an engineer. And while I was there, I was always creative. I liked working with my hands, but I was really passionate about, you know, X, Y, and Z, how the numbers can match up and really diving into the details. So I previously had a job in the sales and marketing side of the pharmaceutical industry and decided to that I wanted to be a little bit more well-rounded. So I ended up going to business school in 2018. And the purpose for me was to learn the rest of the business side. I was really good on the, the analytics, but to figure out marketing and how funding works and all of this stuff, as well as to have fun, because that's a lot of uh, business school is pretty fun. As far as my personal interests go, like I said, I've always been a curious person. I like to build things. I like to bring things into the world, but I also have been really passionate about gender equity. Um, I was a woman in engineering, and now I'm a woman in entrepreneurship, and even a woman in business. Uh, that is not uh, the norm if you go by the numbers. So nope, it's not. Yeah, I mean, I I never cease to be amazed that the amount of venture capital that goes to women entrepreneurs is is still shockingly low. 2022, we are here today, and. It's less, way less than 3%, and actually I've seen the numbers dropping, which is a bummer, right? Yeah. So it's, I completely agree with that, and I've experienced that problem you know, through reading about it, but also personally. So a goal that's important to me in my personal and professional life is to promote gender equity for women and also people of um, other marginalized genders. Yeah. So um, tell me what you do for fun. I do a lot of things for fun. I love baking pies. That was a habit that <laughs> No kidding. My mom. That's a first. I don't yes. know that anyone on the show so far has, has said that they love making pies. That's great. Yes. My favorite kind is 
in the middle of summer, you can go and pick some fruit, like delicious peaches, and then come back and make a peach pie. So really end-to-end on that pie-making process, (laughs) as well as, you know, kind of customizing it for whatever holiday is nearby. Well, I could I could foresee a new spinoff, the Cavania Coffee and Pie <laughs> Company. <laughs> uh, for now, it's just a personal hobby, but you never know. I'm I'm just teasing you, uh, but that's that's really fun. Well, talk a little bit about your business, the Cavania Coffee Company. What is it that you make and do, and what's unique about it? So, Cavania Coffee makes sustainable cold drip coffee that's powered by women. So I'll break that down. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even really know. I mean, I go to Starbucks and I buy cold brew, but I don't really know what it is. So maybe that's a good place well, to start. Yes, I'm happy to, to, to break it down. So cold brew at its very core is coffee that's brewed cold or at room temperature. And hot coffee, because of the heat of the water, brews within two to three minutes where cold coffee is brewing on like the out, the time scale of hours. Oh. Um, the difference in water temperature means it's usually smoother and less acidic. Those are like the traditional things about cold brew that people oh, love. Oh, interesting. And then cold drip is a further subset of cold brew. So I like to explain it like traditional cold brew. So like you said, Starbucks, the menu, the menu item at Starbucks. That's like a bath for your coffee grounds. Even whether you're making it at home in your kitchen in a mason jar or a Starbucks that's making it in like a giant bucket, it's coffee grounds and water for multiple hours. It's kind of stewing and sitting there. Okay. In increasingly coffee-like water. Okay. Cold, cold drip is like a really slow shower for the coffee grounds. So water is slowly dripped over the top of the coffee grounds, and then gravity, our secret ingredient, if you will, pulls the water through. And so every time there's a fresh drop of water on the bottom, and so this process, without going into the detail of the coffee science, gets the best flavors from the coffee beans. So you get tasting notes like you would with a good wine. Oh, so I'm envisioning going to the grocery store in the produce section when they have the sprayer turned on to kind of gently wash the produce. It's something kind of like that, huh? Exactly. Okay, so how did you get the idea for for this? I mean, um, is, is cold drip, there must be other people doing this, or does, is this something you invented, or how, how did you find out about all of it? It is not something I invented, although I like to think that I've innovated part of like Cognia's process. Um, so the cold drip brewing style is also called slow drip or Kyoto style. It was originally developed in Kyoto, Japan about 400 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and if, you've ever, yeah, if you've ever been to a like bougie hipster coffee shop, they sometimes have this three foot tall multi-tiered glass brewing device that that is a cold drip brewing device they're quite beautiful they look like a work of art of art married a chemistry set and they're gorgeous but they're quite impractical for the average person's kitchen although they make this delicious delicious coffee well i was just thinking i i don't know i don't know where i would put one of those so (laughs) where i i don't know where that leaves me so It leaves you either getting it at a bougie hipster coffee shop or getting coffee <laughs> as coffee, which like you asked me how I, I started this. So I first was exposed to this coffee three years ago on a trip to New Orleans in um, 2019. And a buddy of mine had walked two miles to a coffee shop on a Sunday morning and he orders this coffee and he texts me like all caps. You like you got to get here. This is the best cold brew I've ever tasted. So sadly, I did not make it to that coffee shop, but that started this passion project between my buddy and I um, to replicate this coffee at home. So he ended up buying that three-foot-tall glass. Oh no! You're kidding. Yeah. Now that's love of of coffee. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I'm sure though those are not. Those are not cheap, I bet, and um, not that easy to install in your house properly. Correct. Well, it gets even better. 
So you're right. They're not cheap. He spent about 500 bucks on it. It shows up at his house and his wife, who is pregnant at the time, says, hey, like, we have a baby on the way. We live in a one-bedroom apartment. There's no <laughs> way that we can have this here. So that kind of, like, exactly the problem that you outlined, like, getting this premium cold brew. So you're getting these tasting notes that you don't get with other cold brews is so impractical. So at this point, I say, I'm, like, really wanting to try this coffee and I'm like, I, I love to build things. I have a degree in engineering. I think I can figure out how to slowly drip water over the, this, these coffee grounds. And so that started about a year of the two of us tinkering around. Originally, the goal was, let me build this brewing device, like one for me, one for him and his wife. Um, and we could just, you know, have delicious coffee every morning. Well, right. But, you know, but we're in business school at the time. So every time there's a side project, you know, for a class being like, how would you evaluate a sales model? We right, 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 right. Class project, yeah. class project, you know, come up with a business idea and develop a business plan for it. Oh, okay. Well, here we go. Right. Exactly. So, and my buddy Jackson, he's a user researcher. So he goes out and he's talking to all of our friends and doing like a very rigorous process of identifying the needs. And all of this is kind of coming together as I think there's a huge need for this product. Um, we had done some research on the industry and like cold brew is growing at 40% year over year. Cold brew is the style of choice for Gen Z and millennials. And it's kind of a pain in the butt to get good cold brew because making it at home is really messy. And like you have to, otherwise you have to leave your house and go to a coffee shop. Right. Or you can go to the grocery store and pay quite a nice sum of money for a little container of, um, Starbucks or other coffee brand, cold brew, and bring it home. But that's exactly. a few cups maybe at a pretty steep price, and then you got to go back and get more. A hundred percent. And to boot, we're also looking at the sustainability aspect. And so in either the coffee shop situation or the grocery store with those ready-to-drink cans or bottles, you're using a single-use container. Yeah. So after you're done, even if you put it in the recycling, like you use – a disposable container. Absolutely. So uh, the first iteration of our business was selling this, was developing and ultimately hoping to sell a premium Keurig cold brew maker. So instead of a three foot tall machine made of glass, it would be beautiful about the dimensions of a Keurig and make this super high quality cold brew for your home. Were you successful? Did you figure out how to do that? Well, we came up with that idea in January of 2020, and I say that so you can see where the world is heading in February and March of 2020. Oh, right. So, yes. How could I forget? I've, I guess I blanked <laughs> it out conveniently. <laughs> yes, yes. So we hit some roadblocks because we're making a, a physical product and all of the physical prototyping spaces at this point. Um, so I was prototyping at the... Um, Harvard makerspace um, and they shut down access to it. So mm. we hit a few roadblocks in terms of developing the physical product. Um, yeah, bad, bad timing. Of of hands of our users. Yeah, bad timing for sure. At that point, I, you know, it's mid pandemic. I had just graduated. And so I moved back in with my parents in rural Pennsylvania for a few months. Um, and which is, also, you know, not uh, exactly the hub of hardware product development, <laughs> and then moved. <laughs> no, probably not. No. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then I moved to Chicago, and I joined M Hub, which is absolutely a fantastic place for hardware development. And yeah, so and I remember <laughs> Melissa uh, later, who uh, from M Hub, who was on the show, was telling me that actually M Hub was able to get, I don't know if it was from permission from the state or or how they managed it, but they, they finessed it so that they stayed open most of the pandemic, right? Yeah. I was coming in in December of 2020. And so by that time, like there was social distancing, there was all the proper safety measures, but you could physically go into the space, which was huge for us. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, all right. So continue the journey of how you've developed this and 
you know, where you are today in the process. Sure. So at this point, we had also gotten a small grant and we had been using that money as well as a little bit of self-funding to like do the product development. Also, my buddy Jackson, who was in it with me at the beginning, he and his wife had their baby and he decided he needed to step away to, you know, have some more financial stability for his growing family. So at this point, I'm solo developing it in Chicago. And in early 2021, I was doing some fundraising or uh, fundraising for our like next step in the prototyping process. So we were going to get a manufacturing partner, probably in East Asia, and like really kick it into high gear. You mentioned fundraising earlier, like a really small percentage going to women. And as I was fundraising, like was having a little bit of trouble getting traction. And so I ultimately decided to pivot the business away from this cold brew coffee device, which we're also patent pending for the brewing mechanism. Decided to take this countertop Keurig style device and scale it up to a commercial style device. And then said to sell the cold brew or cold drip coffee concentrate as the product instead of the coffee maker. Oh, interesting. In March of 2021. Interesting. Well, you know, wow, I have a lot of follow-up questions for you. Um, Talk about the, the funding pitching process. I mean, looking back, what advice would you give to other people, especially other women who are pitching for funding? Yeah, so I will start with my personal experience and kind of where I think I missed the mark a little bit, um, and then I'll share some advice. Um, So one, the big piece of friction that we were running up against was our investors wanted to see recurring revenue. So they wanted you to sell the device and then sell like a pod or a K-cup. Oh, the old product. The razor, razor blade model they they liked, huh? Exactly. And so for us, we couldn't figure out how to add the additional piece of revenue that one, stayed true to our values and two, fulfilled the market need. So the two really easy like options are to sell whole coffee beans or to sell ground coffee beans sure. in like a pre-portioned yep. package. Yeah. Uh, For this brewing style, since it's ultra premium, you need freshly ground beans. Like there's just this process of oxidation that happens as soon as you grind them. So it wasn't, we weren't able to. Uh, uh, Interesting. The quality for our customer if we pre-ground and pre-packaged it. And so the other option was selling whole beans, but our target, that wasn't a problem for our customers. Like if you were going to spend $200 on a fancy cold brew device, you have a place where you get your beans. It's probably the local coffee shop around the corner or one of the many online whole bean subscriptions. Oh, interesting. I wondered about that because I'm sure the quality of the coffee itself is a pretty big factor, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so, we use specialty grade coffee, which there's a lot of rigorous work from the coffee community about defining what that is. And so needless to say, it is basically coffee that is meticulously cared for from the time it's like planted in the ground as a seed until it reaches your cup. Um, And that process obviously takes a lot of expertise and a lot of care. And so it is much more expensive than, you know, soldiers that you would get at the, the grocery store. Well, interestingly, if we have time, I want to circle back to that. But I don't want to um, derail your discussion about pitching and, and finding funding because if I hear one thing from uh, listeners, it's about how, how do I get funding? What should I think about? How do I pitch? How do I, you know, how do I, how do I decide who the right people to pitch are? So So let's circle back to that piece of the discussion because I think it's pretty interesting for a lot of listeners. Yeah. Um, for me, the biggest piece of advice I have is expect to get a lot of no's. And <laughs> I am a person yeah. who, who, likes, who likes to see the glass half full. And that was really tough to just get no after no after no after no. So as I think about the process of fundraising, my biggest piece of advice is like, 
really set up a support system that you need. You're, I think on average, you get like 50 no's for every one yes. So set yourself up with a support system that's going to like keep you motivated through those 50 no's yeah. um, as like my number one piece of advice. But the as I think about like assembling who the people I asked for money and how I assembled like my pitch process, mm-hmm. um, going back to my passion for engineering and order, it was a very orderly process. So I <laughs> had done a lot of internet research <laughs> and talking to other entrepreneurs in my space as well as friends and family to figure out kind of like my A list, my B list, my C list. And so moving my way up, you know, practicing, getting used to my pitch on the people who I didn't think I was like their ideal investment, but would still take a meeting with me. And then by the end of it, when I was getting to my A list of like, wow, I think you're a great fit for me. You, I am exactly the type of company you invest in, et cetera, et cetera. I had this like, I was very confident and well-oiled. Well, good, good. You know, it's interesting. I've had a couple of venture capitalists on the show and one of their common, the common themes of frustration from them is companies that pitch to them that clearly haven't done their homework about what they're looking for. Because it's frustrating for some of those firms to try to weed through people who just, who clearly haven't even looked at the website or even thought about whether they'd be a good fit or not. So there's a lot of work involved, I think, in really making sure you're pitching to the right firms, right? Definitely. And for me, like when I was pulling that that pitch together, I was looking for companies that invested in hardware or companies that invested in food and beverage. Uh, Uh, Ideally, companies that invested in hardware for food and beverage. Yes. Yeah, exactly. uh, And so I had the version of my pitch that dived into the hardware side and the version of my pitch that dived into the food and beverage side. And so I would customize it slightly based on the, what I, from doing my research, uh, either from their website or talking to other companies that they had invested, that that firm had invested in, um, figuring out kind of which the food and beverage side or the the hardware side or both I was going to lean into. Yeah. How did you decide what kind of, funding to pitch to. I mean, I I think some people struggle with, you know, do I need an angel investor? Should I pitch to family offices? Is my product interesting to venture capitalists? You know, it's interesting that from the venture capital perspective, their view is, is that way too many companies just assume that they are a good fit for venture capital when in fact, it might not really be good for the business. So how, how did you tackle that piece of the process? So I completely agree with that. And uh, the, the first step for me was thinking about what my business plan is. Like before I talked to any investor, I had my plan about how I was going to develop it. And I did a lot of research on how much is required to make a hardware device, how much is required to sell and market a hardware device. So I built a bottoms up model of like my costs over time. And I had a pretty good idea of what the amount of money I needed. And then I triangulated that from like companies like mine and how much money did they raise in terms of like how I got to my ask. And then for the, is my company venture capital. I was fortunate enough to take a class on this in business school about like the economics of financing entrepreneurial ventures. So the takeaway I have from this is that like for economics to work out for a venture capitalist, they're looking for the home run companies. Yes. So they they bet on a lot of players and then a lot of them fail and a few of them make it big and that's how they make their money. So you need to be able to show that you can be one of the companies that makes it big. And I did believe and do believe that my product applies to that in terms of like how we are going to scale and where the market is heading. Like I mentioned earlier, 40% year over year growth in cold brew and the beverage of choice for younger folks. This is a lifetime daily habit. 40% Americans drink coffee every day. 40% 40% year-over-year year growth. That's insane. Yeah. Last summer, Starbucks said 70% of their beverages were cold beverages at their stores. Wow. That's a big change. Yeah. And, like, the global coffee market is $100 billion. Obviously, 
that is a global market, right? It's still growing, but cold brew is massively growing in that. And I believe that the coffee market is heading the same way that the tea market did. You know, hot tea was the thing for centuries. Mm -hmm. And now people, there is a iced tea and a hot tea occasion in people's lives. And there are two separate categories. I think coffee is heading the same way, although right now they're usually grouped similarly in, in customers and consumers' minds. Right. And, you know, as connected as the world is these days, I mean, listeners are probably thinking about the U.S. market, but, uh, you know, if that's what's hot in the U.S. market and appealing to that demographic, it's probably going to be hot in the U.K. and in Germany and uh, a lot of other countries, too. It is. Uh, that's a really astute observation, and I agree with you. I will say we have this, the U.S. is about 75% of the, the cold brew globally is consumed in the U.S. because the rest of the world, basically anyone who was recently colonized by the British Empire has this big thing for tea. So you're a, and they're, they're coming along. They're just a few decades behind the U.S. <laughs> in terms of love of cold brew. So as part of the funding process, did you end up finding funding or, or what did you end up doing? Um, so after having a few of the exact same conversation with investors about the need for recurring revenue, like we were making it to the last stage and they were like, we really need to see this recurring revenue. Um, I, so while that was happening, I was also like thinking about my life personally, which I think is also a topic that is not discussed enough in entrepreneurship communities. And I, if I was really real with myself, I didn't love being a hardware CEO. I, um, I love applying the engineering mindset, but doing in and out engineering every day wasn't bringing me joy. So the combination of those, of those two, I took a step back and I was like, what, what assets does my business have? Where does my passion lie? And where do I think I can get this funding? And I went back to the drawing board and I ultimately decided that I think selling a packaged good is quite different than selling a hardware device, mm -hmm. obviously. Yep. But I think that with the assets, information, secret sauce that we have, we can be competitive in that space. And selling a CPB, D, wow, excuse me, CPG, consumer packaged good, is like just refer, re recurring revenue. Yeah. We chatted about how you pitched for funding and, you know, we're getting a lot of no's, which I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to that and are probably nodding. Um, but also that you really did some soul searching and, and pivoted. And so... You know, I get a lot of questions from listeners about pivoting. How do I know when I should just keep pushing ahead? Maybe the next person will say yes. So how do you know when it's right to pivot? And how do you go about the process of pivoting? That is a great question. Um, I suspect that it's something that's probably a little different for everyone, but I'll talk through my personal journey and hope that that can impact someone else's decision. For me, it ultimately came down to the fact that I was miserable. I did not look forward to going to work every day, and I couldn't see it getting better. I wow. couldn't see it like, from a personal perspective, from a business perspective. And so that was, and I know myself pretty well. I spent a lot of time reflecting on what makes me happy and what gives me purpose and what I want. And so I knew I wasn't headed in the right direction. Um and as well as like, I think another theme in this conversation in my personal life is I, I love running the numbers. So like from a business perspective, seeing where I was headed and then from a personal perspective, that kind of gave me the single signal that something needed to change. Yeah. And when I went back to the drawing board, I figured out that like something I knew to be true was that this cold drip or slow drip coffee wasn't in the market. There was a need for a premium, high-quality coffee, uh, cold brew coffee, and consumers wanted that. So it was, how can I fulfill that market, that huge white space in the market right. with what I currently have? Right. 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 All right. So you came up with the idea of, instead of becoming a hardware company that was selling these coffee pots or... I, 
I'm just using kind of a, uh, you know, obviously not a coffee pot, but uh, a device that people would use in their home, you change to become the producer of the coffee that people would buy, right? How'd you go about doing that? I mean, that's a whole different segment. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about how do I get into grocery stores and partner with coffee companies? Because as we touched on earlier in the show, um, the quality of the coffee bean is probably really important. And I'm sure that as a hardware company, that that probably wasn't your primary focus, right? Correct. So how did so, you how did you do that? That that's amazing. The the short answer to that is I talked to a lot of people and I was at a lot of farmers markets. Um, but to uncover some of the things that I felt I needed to answer before I knew that this was the right like the right move. So one was building out the supply chain, like you mentioned, I now need to source these coffee beans. Mm -hmm. Um, The second was figuring out who my target customer was, did it change from the previous iteration and what they are looking for. Mm -hmm. And then the third was really like operationally, how do I do this? I have a coffee device that I made that makes half a liter of coffee concentrate. How do I now produce dozens and hundreds of liters of coffee? So right. the first one was the first one, which, you know, was a fun project for me. How do I scale this up? Um, it was like a great, and like I was doing this at M hub. They were fantastic and supportive. So I kind of spent a couple weeks and figured out what I needed to do to make it bigger and was able to successfully uh, work my way through prototypes. On that no, no, don't tell me you're back to the, the, uh, the, the huge tall coffee thing again. No, <laughs> no, I am not. I am not. I uh, brought in some technology to like, those are the big, tall glass coffee devices are completely manual and having electronics to regulate the flow uh, uh-huh. of the dripping water is a huge key piece in making it faster and also making it more reliable. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Well, so there were still a lot of engineering challenges involved. Yeah. And then at this point, I also um, tap into another fabulous entrepreneurial resource in the Chicago community, which is the Hatchery. So the Hatchery focuses on, it's a food and beverage incubator. And so I was making my device at M-Hub and then brewing the coffee at the Hatchery, which is a top of the line commercial kitchen space that you can rent. So I'm producing it in a you know sanitary environment um, wow. that fulfills all of the health and safety regulations. And they also have a great set of programming that um, you know, helps on food and beverage entrepreneurs get off the ground. So at this point, mid by midsummer, I'm pretty midsummer of 2021. I'm pretty comfortable with the operational piece. Um, and the next piece is do customers like, want to buy this coffee and like the coffee that I'm brewing? What are they looking for? Mm-hmm. So, and at what price point, right? Exactly. Exactly. So there was, this brewing style naturally makes a concentrate. So you can change the concentrate, but my device uh, was brewing about a two to three X coffee concentrate. So what that means is that like you could have a, you know, a shot of this coffee concentrate. It'll taste similar to espresso. It's really powerful uh, and concentrated. Mm-hmm. Or most people add one part ice one part water and one part coffee concentrate. So 15 seconds in your kitchen and your own glass and you have a, a traditional cold brew. Um, but with all of these tasting notes and premium flavors. Mm-hmm. So the first decision point was, do I dilute it down and sell it ready to drink to my customers or do I sell the concentrate? And so that's what I tested out at farmer's markets, which were a fantastic way there. You know, they take a lot of my time because I have to go there every Saturday and Sunday, but they're a really great way to be able to have a lot of face-to-face conversation with customers week over week, as well as like test out different propositions. Right. Interesting. So what did you find that people really liked? Uh, One, people really did like the coffee concentrate. 
Um, they do like uh, ready to drink cold brew when they're walking around. But if you think about it, I can sell you a 16 ounce bottle of coffee concentrate, which is going to make five medium coffees. And the difference between a 16 ounce bottle of coffee concentrate and like a bigger bottle of ready to drink coffee is just water. People have water at their home. So they're looking for a smaller packaging size and then they'll open it up and make a coffee, which whatever size, right? Like if you, you know, had a really late night and need an XL coffee, it's really easy to make that <laughs> with a coffee concentrate where you're limited if you're buying a, you know, right. a 12 ounce can of coffee at the grocery store. The yeah. concentrate gives flexibility and you can also make it into a latte instead of a regular cold brew, or you can add it to a smoothie. There's a lot of flexibility there that customers loved. Yeah. Second thing that I learned at the farmer's market that people loved was this dedication to gender equity um, so and sustainability. For a, a lot of coffee companies, you know, whether they are selling the packaged coffee or our coffee shop, are pretty dedicated to sustainability, getting organic coffee, as well as composting their grounds. And all of these things I kind of think are table stakes in the specialty coffee world. Uh But this unique aspect of promoting gender equity was huge for us. Um, And it really mattered to our consumers. So for us, step one was having a fully female-powered supply chain from producing the coffee to roasting the coffee and brewing the coffee. And just to dive down a level deeper, because I think it is a really worthwhile thing to note. Um, a lot of coffee is produced by women, but men really? are economically compensated. So 80% of the people that are picking the coffee are women. Picking it, yeah. But, but producing, I mean... Men, men own the farms, and they're the ones getting the paycheck. So they're making yeah. a bigger... Yeah. So... Uh, partnering with and buying beans from uh, producing places, farms, estates that are owned by women is, has been huge for us. And I'm sure it was difficult. There's probably not that many uh, in some of the places <laughs> where, I mean, some of the best coffee, I, I, I'm guessing, comes from places that you, you know, maybe you might find it in Costa Rica more likely, but, you know... Mm-hmm. Some of the other places where coffee is grown, it's probably harder to find women-owned businesses. Yeah, it's there is a lot of it is difficult to find women-owned production companies or coffee production companies like the world over. Coffee is a little bit of a diva uh, in terms of a plant. It like requires elevation and rocky soil and partial shade, uh, so it takes this really sophisticated skill set and like an infrastructure that's built over many years to produce and um, process coffee at the origin. Um, And so finding women with the economic capital and know how to do that is a huge focus of the coffee industry right now. Um, And fortunately they're making a lot of strides, but you're correct. So like we had to, we had to work uh, to find the, our current set of suppliers. Did you end up traveling to some of these places to, to see their facilities and talk to them? Unfortunately, I have not had that opportunity yet. Um, in terms of over the summer, I was quite busy with talking to the customer. So it's, it's on my to-do list, but I haven't been able to get out there yet. Well, and then I conveniently again forgot about COVID, which um, threw mm-hmm. a monkey wrench in a lot of people's businesses, business travel plans too, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, but but the, the okay so the producers but are there a, are there a lot of women owned businesses that roast the coffee? So we ended up bringing our coffee roasting for some of our roasts in house. Um, I have a fantastic head of coffee. She actually lives in New England, and so she is an expert in the coffee space. I like, she's done almost every role in the coffee industry. And I like to call her my personal coffee Google. Her name is Bella. <laughs> and she has a zero emission, uh, zero emissions roaster. So she does our roasting for us. Ah, amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, so then how did you decide to market it? Because I'm guessing there's a few different outlets. I mean, you could open up your own store across from the Starbucks. You could 
try to market to grocery stores, um, you know, whole food stores, uh, farmers markets, I don't know, online? How, how did you sort through those challenges? Uh, we are still in the process of figuring out exactly what our like winning scalable strategy is. It's going to be some combination of online, in retail, and through partnerships. And so we're, as we gear up for this warm weather season in Chicago, that's our main focus is figuring out one, what customers go where, what messages do they respond to, and what is our operations apparatus for our different sales channels. Uh, to keep it short, we've tested almost everything and are in the process of, you know, getting a big enough sample size to make a data-driven decision across all those channels. Absolutely fascinating. So what's next for the company? Um, you know, what, what do you think the company will look like in two years, for example? I would love for the company in two years to have determined our sales strategy and be a nationally available brand, whether that's at retail, through partnerships, or uh, online. And I think that we are really headed in that direction as we figure out what our what our scalability looks like. And that's like our number one goal this summer is to reach a lot of customers in Chicagoland and figure out exactly how to reach them and to find where our synergy is between what customers want, where they want it, um, and what we need, what are the words that we have to say it with, or our primary like marketing yep. message. Yep. Have you continued to pitch the business? the pivoted business or decided on a different strategy for funding? We did raise venture capital money last fall um, through a firm called Long Jump, which they have been fantastic. They're a, a new Chicago-based venture capital fund. Have you heard of them? Uh, I have heard of them and would love to know more. So tell me about that project. I I highly recommend them to any early stage Midwest-based entrepreneur who is looking to go the venture capital route. They are extremely supportive. All of their GPs are um, current entrepreneurs, so they know firsthand what it's like to go through what you're going through. And their um, their thesis is that there's not enough early venture capital money in the Midwest, so they are providing it. And they wow. have been great from a like resource perspective. Um, as well as like a capital perspective. So currently um, we that we took money from them in the fall of last year as part of their first cohort and they raised, uh, they have quarterly cohorts. And so from now we are headed into the summer, which is a big, um, we're, as I said, we're testing out all these sales channels that right now we're financing through uh, sales from operations. And then what remains to be seen what our next step from a capital perspective is going to be. Yeah. Wow. Well, good for you. Congratulations. And that's great news about long jump because that is a, an, a challenge for startup businesses based in the Midwest is historically, there just hasn't been the same e ecosystem. I think um, a lot of people describe it as, for venture capital and even angel funds in in the Midwest. And it's, I'm glad to see that slowly that's changing. Me too. What's been the best part about having your own business? I mean, you seem totally comfortable with the risks and being out there pivoting when you need to. I'm amazed, but what's been the driver for you all along and made you comfortable with taking these kind of risks? Well, there's a lot of things that play into that. I will say the first thing is I have an immense amount of privilege. My romantic partner and my savings have been able to like give me financial stability during this early years of my company, which I definitely would not be here talking to you today without that. Um, and that is something that as I grow and like, when I'm looking to give back to entrepreneurial communities, um, helping early entrepreneurs get that financial stability and support system has been, is something that is like, will continue to be a passion area of mine because I have a lot of privilege that that, that was possible from a financial perspective. 
I also work side hustles at night and on the weekends to bring in some extra cash. You know, I have loans from business school to being up, um, have to make payments on those has been, you know, a challenge and, but it is a big passion area of mine to be able to give back and empower other early stage entrepreneurs, whether that's financially or through mentorship to be able to make that happen. Some of the other things that I love about being an entrepreneur is the flexibility to set the direction and make the decisions. Um, It's great for me. Gender equity is a huge area of passion in my personal life and really having full control over how that comes to bear in my company without having to, you know, talk to the HR department to figure out how we can get equal parental leave across all genders. I can just make the decision that this is what it is. I I am the final decision maker. So that is um, a fabulous part of bringing my values to life, as well as managing my daily schedule. I am not a morning person. So meetings at Covnia do not happen before 9 a.m., which is great. Well, having having worked in big corporations um, and... I did. I did that because that's what my dad did, and always told me that's what you should focus on. But I, I thought I was going to lose my mind. Um, it, one of my one one person who worked for me um, described it as herding cats, and another one uh, called it ding donging. Um, the endless process of trying to build elusive consensus in a in an organization with multi-layers and stuff, uh, and the amount of time that you spend trying to do that is, wow. It's, you know, I, I just, I was very frustrated in that environment. I'm not sure I was bad at it, but every day I was finding it so unrewarding to try to spend all that time when, from my standpoint, it was like, you know, we need to get on with doing stuff. That's not doing but, you know, in big organizations, that is part of the doing stuff. And if you're not wired up that way, it can be pretty frustrating. Definitely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Where do you find inspiration when you hit the rough patches? For me, it comes from my support network. And I have very, very intentionally built my personal and professional support system the biggest place that I find solace and comfort is from other female entrepreneurs. They tend to just get it when I am talking about the frustrations of raising capital as a woman or just like being an entrepreneur that I had, I have a robust network of friends from business school. And that I've met through M hub and the hatchery and the Chicago entrepreneurial network that are my go-to folks on the professional side. But then on the personal side, you know, those friends that you have that like really make you like find your true self and laugh until you cry. So <laughs> I have, I know that I need to keep my batteries charged. And for yeah. me, that's talking to my, my good friends and my romantic partner um, as keeping me personally happy and motivated. It's so easy for my company, for Cosmia to like take all of my energy oh, and yeah. Starting a, bit, a business is a marathon, not a sprint. And so it took me a while to learn the things I need to do to stay happy so that I can continue to work to build this business. Yeah. And, and looking back on your journey, what advice do you most often give to other women entrepreneurs? The advice I give to all entrepreneurs is build your support system, whether that is your professional support system, like advisors and your board or your personal support system, your friends, your family, your partner, whoever it is, like you need to have a really robust, a robust people to turn to when your business isn't going well, or your business is going so well, you can't keep product in stock, or you just need a shoulder to cry on. Having that network of people there is so important because entrepreneurship is hard and it's never going to be an easy path. So have those people that can build you up and say your name in a crowded room full of opportunities um, is the advice I give all entrepreneurs. The part that I tack on for women entrepreneurs is um, I hate that it's this way and I am working actively to make it so that this is not uh, the way the world is, but the path is harder for female entrepreneurs, particularly solo female entrepreneurs. And so stick with it and find the right set of partners, whether that's 
um, other entrepreneurs or, you know, sponsors or mentors that can help you navigate these additional hurdles that are thrown your way because of your gender. Yeah. Great, great advice. Well, we're just about out of time. Last question for you. How should people reach you or your company if they're interested in buying your products or, uh, maybe market testing, or maybe they would just love to brainstorm with you. They're in a parallel space and just something you said today struck a, struck a chord with them. What's the best way for them to reach you? So if you want to reach me with a question, the best way to reach out is through Instagram DMs. So our Instagram is at kavnia.coffee. So that's K-A-V-N-I-A dot coffee on Instagram. Um, if you, to buy products, you can look on our website, www.kavnia.com or in a growing number of retailers, farmers markets and festivals around Chicago. And you can find a full list of those on our website. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being with me today, Olivia. It was, it was a delight having you. such an interesting product and I can't wait to, to see it out there. Um, I'll definitely be on the lookout for it and we'll be sure to buy some when I see it. Great. Thank you, Doris. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure chatting with you. It's been a delight, Olivia. So thanks to all my listeners. You're the reason I do this. Thank you again to my special guest this week, Olivia Vanita, the owner and founder of Cavnia Coffee Company, who joined me this week to talk about the story of her business and her entrepreneurial journey. Now, you can find more helpful information and resources on my consulting website, globalocityservicesplural.com, as well as my new dedicated radio show website, thesavvyentrepreneur.org. You'll find there, increasingly at thesavvyentrepreneur.org, as I start to transfer content over, lots of free blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources for entrepreneurs. My door's always open. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me with comments, questions, suggestions, just to shoot the breeze at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.